We have uh, Christmas decorations, and probably many of your homes reflect some of the things here with trees and wreaths and lights and candles. And we have Christmas parties, and we have Christmas cookies, and we have Christmas sweaters that are intentionally ugly and gaudy and truly awful. None of those things are different than what non-Christian neighbors are enjoying this time of year, which of course doesn't make them wrong. Many of those traditions are very fun. We do all of those traditions. But as I said, for the next few minutes, I want you to consider what it is that we are really celebrating beneath all of the celebrations. And I let off four weeks ago as we had just one of the four Advent candles lit, this first purple candle. And we begin this whole series of messages around Advent, around the coming of our Lord, talking about the theme of darkness, particularly the theme of how light, as we've already said this morning, light overcomes the darkness. And I want you to think for just a moment how and why we talk about darkness this time of year. Obviously, in the Northern Hemisphere where Jesus was born, this is the darkest time of the year. Just a couple days ago, we passed the winter solstice which in the Northern Hemisphere is the shortest day, literally, the least amount of sunlight during the year. It's colder this time of year. We associate this time of year with many things that are dark. And you may know that literal darkness, not not speaking metaphorically now for a moment, but just literal darkness intensifies a lot of negative feelings and emotions. So if you're sad and it's dark, and it's dark for a long period of time, you could become melancholy right? If you feel hopelessness when it's daytime, you may feel utter despair in the dark. If you feel afraid and it's light outside, you may be terrified when it's dark. If you feel lonely when it's daylight, you may feel utterly alone at night. If you feel a little lost in the daytime, you feel completely disoriented at night. A number of years ago, we were camping overnight to hike out near Aspen, we were at the Castle Creek Trailhead, and as we were driving back to these remote campsites, this ranger coming down in his truck said, hey, just so you guys know, there's a bear that's active in the area, and it's kind of ransacked a handful of tents just up the hill from you guys. And so we said, okay, well, are we not allowed to stay here? And he's like, well, no, you can stay here. I'm just letting you know. And so that night, as I'm in a tent by myself, and it's pitch dark, you know, there's wind blowing you'd be surprised how many twigs snap in the middle of the night, you know? And my imagination is not that these are tiny woodland creatures like chickadees and chipmunks. My imagination is that every single one of these is in fact this bear and it's coming to maul me and kill me and, you know, show off parts of my body to its family back in its den. (laughs) We did in fact see that bear the next morning, but the fear was greatly heightened. And I can attest, I did not sleep well that night. I don't know that I slept at all before getting up early to hike. I've had another experience with our family. We were driving up to Grand Lake area, maybe about this time of year. And it was during a driving snowstorm. And the more we drove, the more ice was building up on the headlights of the car. And they may remember this, that less and less light was going through those lenses but it was just being dispersed kind of sideways. And so it got, you know, it's not getting darker, but the light isn't going where it should. And so it was very disorienting. It was very difficult to make those sharp curves. And we stopped at McDonald's and like we're chipping ice off these headlights just to be able to see. 
Now, I'd share a couple examples. All of you would probably have your own examples that you could add. You could say, this was my experience of darkness. And you may even reflect on a time when you say, I was experiencing one or maybe several of those negative emotions, sad about something, grieving something, feeling alone about something, um, feeling confused or disoriented about something, feeling angry about something, feeling hopeless about something, and what that darkness did to those feelings that you were already experiencing. Well, this is how the people of God felt in the 300s, the 200s, the 100s, and the 10s BC. They were a scattered people. They were a chastised people. They had sinned and sinned greatly for many generations. And so God had dispersed them from their homeland in Israel, and they were living in captivity. And there were various intensities of that captivity over different periods of time. But even as you come to the turn of the century, what we think of from BC to AD, they're living under Roman rule, which was fairly permissive, but still heavy taxation, not a real freedom to worship in all the ways that they wanted to, to come and go as they wanted to. And the biggest issue of all, if you're part of the covenant people of God, is that a long time ago, God had gone stone cold silent. Like no new prophet coming from God to say, here's a word from the Lord. Here's something he wants you to know. Like he still loves you. He still, nothing, just quiet. And some of you may even sense that in your own life of just like, at one time I was closer to God. I just feel like he's not speaking to me right now. I'm not hearing from him right now. I even read the word and it's just not hitting the same as it was before. So there's this pervasive mood of frustration and hopelessness amongst these covenant people of God. Every day, every week, every month, every year, every decade, every generation felt just like the one before it with no end in sight. And then one day, just like that, God spoke. And actually, the story begins in Luke 1. So if you were following along in Luke 2, um, I'm going to recount some of this story for you as an introduction and background to Luke 2. We read from Luke 2 this morning. But in Luke 1, before we get to chapter 2, this is how God breaks the silence. There's an elderly man who was a priest that back in those days, they drew lots because there were so many priests, they didn't have enough weeks in the year or enough opportunities for every priest to come and serve in the temple in Jerusalem. So they drew lots. So seemingly by random, this man's name, you know, by tribe and family and clan and all that, then his name is chosen to go in and make the sacrifice of the temple to light the altar of incense. And so this elderly Jewish priest named Zechariah goes in alone to the temple and begins offering this incense. And he's, he's a godly man by all accounts. He's a good man. He loves the Lord. He's looking forward to the true Messiah, but he's just in there alone, lighting the incense, probably worshiping and praising God that after all these years, he finally got his chance. Then suddenly, probably much to his dismay, he realizes, I am not alone in the temple. So there's an angel which is a word for messenger. So a messenger sent from God says, Zechariah, your prayers have been answered and your wife is going to give birth to this child. And this child that is your son, and I want you to name him John, 
this child is going to be the one that the prophets said would come immediately before the Messiah. So your son is not the Christ, he's not the Messiah, but he's the one right before him. And that's an important detail because at the very end of the Old Testament, you know, if you're in Luke and you go back to Mark and then Matthew and then Malachi, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, both in how our Bibles are arranged and chronologically. And at the very end of the book of Malachi, this prophet said, God will send another prophet one day, somehow, in the spirit and power of Elijah, that other Old Testament prophet, and this new Elijah is going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers. He's going to make a way level. He's going to make a path smooth for the coming of the true king, the Messiah. Well, this angel is now saying, Zechariah, your son is that man. Now, Zechariah thinks this is too good to be true, and there's two reasons for that. One, he and his wife are way beyond childbearing years. So this is, this is literally a physical and biological impossibility that they would have a son. So that's the first reason. He laughs and he, he scoffs at this word from God and says there's no way that's going to be true. But he's also thinking this is too good to be true that after all these generations, I'm the one standing ministering in the temple when the word of the Lord comes and breaks the silence and says the Messiah is imminently coming. Well, if you go on in the story in Luke 1, of course, the angel's right. Zechariah's wife conceives and bears a son. And then later in the same chapter, when Zechariah is rejoicing now over the birth of the son, and he writes out because he's been mute this whole time. He hasn't been able to speak because he laughed at God's word. And he takes this tablet and he says, his name is John, or John is his name. And everyone's like, there's no John in the family. What are you doing? There's no John. He's like, his name is John. And then his mouth is opened, and in part, this is what he says. Luke 1, 76 through 79, he says, You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And you hear that theme of light coming to overcome, to defeat the darkness. And what you may not know is that Zechariah is actually partially quoting and partially alluding to several Old Testament prophecies. I want to read a few of these for you. So the Old Testament closes with these words, Malachi 4.2, But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And he's quoting a portion of that. This theme of darkness into light in Psalm 107, he's quoting a portion of this. Psalm 107 says, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. In Isaiah 42, God says to his servant, this one who would be the Messiah, I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. 
Isaiah 49, he says again to the servant, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. In Isaiah 60, he says not to the Messiah, but he says to his covenant people, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And by the way, these three wise men, astrologers, this is a fulfillment of this, nations coming to the first light, the announcement that this child has been born. Um, We already read this morning Isaiah 9, and I want to repeat this because I want you to see a connection here. Isaiah 9, 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Verse 6, for the reason that the darkness is over. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies will do this. And I save this Isaiah 9 passage for last because I intentionally want you to see the connection that the light is coming to dispel, to overcome the darkness, and it's associated with this particular child, this son who is born, who is clearly both mighty God and the son of man. So that brings us to Luke 2. And if you didn't know the backstory, now you know the backstory. And I think it's interesting that even something as simple as Jesus is born at night And the moment he's born, this is announced on the hillside in the middle of the night. And the glory of God shines around these messengers who are announcing to shepherds. Because even that is a picture, a very visible picture, a tangible picture. This is who Jesus is, and this is what he's come to do. He is the light, and he's come to overcome the darkness. And I want us just to meditate on those two things for a few moments. Number one, what is the darkness? that Jesus came to overcome? And number two, what is the light of Jesus that we celebrate? So this is what differentiates us. Again, I said, it's fine to have all those fun traditions, movies that you laugh at, songs that you sing along to, decorations, cookies, all that, it's great stuff. But here's the theme for this morning. Jesus is the light of the world who came and who is coming again to save us from and to ultimately defeat all darkness. So what is the darkness that Jesus came to overcome? And if I just, if I threw it to you and I said, what do you think the darkness is? My guess is you would come up with a number of correct answers because the darkness is not one thing. The darkness is many things. It's indicative. It's illustrative of many, many, many negative things. I want to mention just five that were in the verses that I just read, the prophecies that I read from Psalm 107 and from Isaiah. First of all, notice that the darkness is blindness. Blindness. I mean, if you literally couldn't physically see, everything would be darkness to you, right? And the Bible says there is a people that apart from 
Jesus coming sit in that kind of blindness. Other people have a kind of blindness where it's not that they don't see anything, but they're still legally blind, meaning they don't see anything really properly. Okay, they, they have some kind of vision to navigate this world, but they don't see certainly from God's perspective. You know, again, in the darkness of driving along um, one of these trips in the mountains, I, I think it was a bull elk, but at the last minute, like the, a very large animal ran across directly in front of our car. And I thought in the split second that I thought anything besides, oh, snap. I just like steered off onto the shoulder of the road and right back on because I didn't have time to hit the brakes. And you think that during the day, during the day, you have some kind of perspective of here's a very large animal that will do a lot of damage to this vehicle and it's here or it's coming and you can kind of see it. But point being, again, in the dark, your focus is very narrowed. You don't see everything properly as it is. That's part of the darkness is, is a blindness or a partial blindness. The prophets also say, secondly, the darkness is slavery or bondage. And in some cases, they're referring to literal slavery of you as the covenant people of God are literally taken away by Assyria, taken away by Babylon, taken away by these other kingdoms who put you in chains and put you in prisons and don't release you and you're working for them instead of for your freedom. But of course, darkness is still slavery today in many ways. We look at the oppression that is all over the world. Oppression. People controlling, manipulating, using another person or people group to their own advantage. Many of you know just internally the kind of slavery that comes from a form of addiction or from a temptation. And pretty soon, in the next week or so, some of you are going to be making these New Year's resolutions, which are not a bad thing, but you will be reminded very quickly in the new year that your personal inner resolve to just do certain things differently and be better, it's not that easy, is it? Because a lot of things you feel in bondage to. And when you try to stop maybe sinning in a particular way, you start a new good, positive habit, it's easy to go back to those chains of just, well, that, I'm not the kind of person who does those kinds of things. And you feel the bondage of, again, an addiction or a temptation or a sin. And it's very hard to be in control of your own life in a truly thoughtful, meaningful way. Thirdly, the prophet said that the darkness is hostility. Basically, this idea, our lives are filled with conflict, not just oppression and bondage, but just war, hostility, the absence of peace. And if you ever took a literature class, you know that basically every good narrative of any sort is built around some kind of conflict. Right, you studied this in some kind of literature class. It's like you're diagnosing as you read this poem, and you're like, why does that hit so well? Well, because there's this man versus man, or man versus beast, or man versus nature, or man versus himself, or man versus some kind of divine thing. And, and without that conflict, we have a hard time understanding stories. We're like, that was boring. Nothing really happened that they overcame. We look at our own lives, and the narrative of our lives is similarly filled with conflict or drama that we don't want. We are not at peace with our surroundings. We're not at peace even with ourselves, some of us. Because of sin and because of a lack of love, we're very often at conflict with even people near us that we would say, 
I love these people. I care for these people. These people care for me. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to get along? And because of sin. And I think most importantly, what the prophets would say is this hostility also exists between us and God because God is holy and he is righteous and he's perfect and he's good. And there's an enmity. There's a distance between us and him. And sometimes that distance feels like just a separation, like a, a big, you know, the Grand Canyon separating us from God on the other side, or sometimes like a wall separating us and God from the other side, or sometimes it feels more deliberate, like we are actually in conflict. He's telling me to do this, and I don't want to do this. I'm going to do this other thing instead. But the darkness is hostility. Fourthly, the prophet said the darkness is judgment. Judgment. And that's what comes as the result of the hostility between us and God. And I know we don't like to acknowledge this often or at all, but there is a standard that we've all violated. There is a moral, ethical, righteous standard that in many ways our lives didn't level up to. And there are consequences for not leveling up to the standard that's God's. And by the way, if you ever think like those standards are just capricious, they're just arbitrary, they're random, God just doesn't love me. It's kind of like this. If you're building a house, I don't mean a home, I mean a literal physical house, okay? If you're building a house and you're like, well, this foundation doesn't really go down to bedrock, it's on some expansive soils. You know how we have expansive soils here in Colorado? And they get damp and they can swell many, many times their regular size. And then when they dry out, they shrink and there's this heaving that happens. And you can be like, well, it's, it's close enough. It's good enough. Like, it's not a great foundation. It's not below the frost time, but it's, but it's fine. I'll just start here. And then you start going on building and you're not using a square. You're not using a level. You're just kind of eyeballing it. And you're like, it's pretty close. I mean, it's probably off by a few degrees, but it's not off by much. And then you decide, I don't see that the big deal is with framing nails. I'm going to use finishing nails, okay? If you don't know the difference, one is large and one is very, very small. One is intended to hold things together and one is intended just to make a tiny perforation and still barely hold things together, kind of. If you're like, I don't really need the drywall screws. I'm going to use this other product instead. Well, it's not going to hold, you know, and if a big rainstorm comes or a big snowstorm comes or a big gust of wind comes, your house is going to literally be flattened and you can't step back and just say, well, that was very capricious and random of God to flatten my house. It's like, no, that, that's what happens to houses that are not built according to the standard. And this is what the prophets are trying to tell us. Not in any kind of self-righteous way, not in an angry way, not in a I look down on you judgmental way. They're just saying, in a sense, you are all building this house of your life. And you can't just be like, well, this is close enough. This is good enough. Because when there is a measure, there is a standard that we have not kept. And there is a judgment, there is a natural consequence that makes a lot of sense if we don't do things like God's way and we just do them our way instead. We end up building these very crooked, very broken lives that are susceptible to the storms of life. So darkness is judgment. Finally, darkness is death. And the prophets here talk about that some. And they basically say, the darkness has come and we die. And it was never meant to be that way. I don't know if you know that, but Death is actually an intrusion. It's like an enemy invader into God's good story. 
It's part of the darkness. There is a physical death of my body. My heart stops beating. My brain waves stop. I stop breathing. But then there's also a soul death. And that soul death is a separation from God. It is God is there and forever I am away from him. And I want to say just for a moment that whatever you think about hell, you're like, why are we thinking about hell on Christmas? Well, because it's part of the darkness. And I just want to say whatever you think about hell, the awful thing about hell is the fact that God isn't there. And you think of going into a room where you remove every little bit of light. This week I was just checking security cameras for something and I was like through where the different cameras are and we have some battery-powered candles that were out in the foyer and during the daytime I couldn't tell that they were on but at night I was like wow look at that in that dark room there's light there's the candles brought me a little bit of joy in the middle of the dark night okay if you remove all that light even the tiniest little bit of light you're left with only darkness which means you're left with only emptiness only hatred only despair, only conflict, only, as C.S. Lewis would say, this grumbling that goes on and on and on forever. So that's the darkness. Now quickly, what is the light of Jesus that we celebrate? And the reason I took actually more time to explain the darkness is so that when we're just like, oh, metaphor, what's not just a metaphor? Like when we're saying the light of the world and when the angels are proclaiming on a hillside in the middle of the darkness to shepherds, glory to God in the highest, this is some of what they're talking about. By the way, first, can we just celebrate that the light is a person? I love this, that like when God says, here is a final solution to the problem of darkness, he doesn't say, so I'm going to send another prophet with another word of advice or another rule for your life. Because we already broke the other rules, right? And we don't need one more rule or one more piece of advice to fix it. No, when, when God says you're broken and there's darkness and there's this hostility and there's this conflict and there's this confusion and there's this blindness and there's this judgment and there's this death, therefore, I will physically come. Like God comes. And that's the miracle of Christmas is that God doesn't send another prophet, another priest, another king, another word from the Lord another piece of advice, but the Savior himself comes. And this, this tiny baby in this manger is the king and the Savior of the world. It's God himself come as one of us to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And I think we do well to listen to this army of angels that say things like this, do not fear. Part of the darkness, fear. Do not fear. For behold, we bring good news of great joy. They go on to say a Savior and Messiah and Lord has been born tonight. And there will be peace for all those who accept it. So just think about this for a moment. If the darkness is blindness, then the light is sight. The light is vision. The light is clarity. And Jesus is coming into our world as one of us, yet fully God, to say where you were confused, where you didn't see God or understand God, you couldn't fully comprehend God, I've come to give you vision. So the things that are scary and the things that are dangerous and the things that are hiding in the dark can no longer hide there. You have sight, you have vision. If the darkness is slavery, 
then the light is freedom. The light is freedom from, from literal oppression. I love that, that one day Jesus is coming again to say to all these nations, you know, as I look at some of the, the bloodshed and the conflict and the hatred going on in our world today, and the steady streams of things that come through social media and media and the news is just, it's depressing and it's horrifying. And to know that one day this Prince of Peace is coming to say there's freedom for all these people who put their hope in Jesus. It might sound weird in a Christmas carol, but you know that line where we sing, chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. There's a freedom coming in the light. If darkness is hostility, then the light is peace. Jesus came to give us peace, you know, with yourself, so you think properly about yourself and the mistakes of your past and what your true identity is. Jesus came to give us horizontally reconciled relationships with one another, so we don't have to go on hurting each other. But most importantly, Jesus came to give us peace with the Father, he came to reconcile us to himself and say, there is no more hostility because I've taken the hostility on me so that you can have peace with God. If the darkness was judgment, the light is not simply the absence of judgment. The light is reward. That God is coming and saying, I want to bless you. That the heart of a father for children is not, well, I, I don't want to have to judge you. It is, I want to bless you. I want to pile rewards on your life as, as a child of mine. I want you to inherit the good things that, that I've done, that I've earned. And this is how God feels toward us, bringing the light of reward. And then if the darkness is death, the light is eternal life. You know, physically then when we die, there isn't this second death that Paul talks about. There isn't this separation from God. There isn't this place that we go to where it's like, okay, you didn't want to be bothered by God, so you won't be bothered by God. But we get to live in his presence, harmonized. And because his presence is light and life, we have life. So family, in the birth of Jesus, we could say many things. You know, latch onto one or two of these meditate on it, rejoice in it, even as we sing a couple more songs here this morning. But think about what the light is. Hope has overcome despair. Joy has overcome sadness. Peace has overcome conflict. Reconciliation has overcome estrangement. Safety has overcome fear. Truth has overcome lies. Clarity has overcome confusion. Satisfaction has overcome emptiness. Healing has overcome brokenness. Blessing has overcome the curse. And eternal life has overcome death. And I would say if you're here, maybe as someone's guest this morning or by an invitation, and you don't know this Jesus, you can accept this Jesus this morning. And just as the, the, the shepherds physically got up from where they were and went to the place and just simply bowed down and acknowledged this is our Savior King. You can do that this morning if you've never done that before and say, there is a lot of darkness in my life and a lot of things that I can't simply light up myself. I want this Jesus, I want this baby born at Christmas to come and light my life. And I would say if you do trust this Jesus, and that's probably most of you, then celebrate him today and celebrate him again tomorrow. 
And um, I'm going to give you a little tool to do this where this morning, and these are on all our refreshment tables and around the back, just a little half sheet of a couple practical ideas that you can do, particularly tonight, maybe with a group of family or friends or mixed group, um, maybe some point tomorrow or maybe both, but just some practical things where you say, I want to celebrate Jesus. I want to praise him. And not just in some ambiguous, like it's Christmas, so you praise Jesus, but thinking along these lines of there, there was and there is still so much darkness, but Jesus has come as the light. And I pray also that we would commit as we're near the beginning and the birth of a new year to say, if this is the Jesus who came at Christmas and gave his life for us, can we commit to being the kind of people who deliberately, with, with a great degree of intentionality, notice what is the darkness around me? And where has God called me simply to reflect his light into that darkness? Where has God called me to actually go to embody his light so that many of these things that I listed earlier that are the darkness, you say, because I'm there and because the spirit is with me and he's empowering me and he's gifting me, there is now light in his name. So Jesus comes. He has come. He is coming again. He's the light of the world. He saves, and one day he's coming to overcome all darkness.